Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey, this is episode 129 of the Better Pleasure Podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. So if we don't really know what sex is for, then we can't really structure ethics around it. And some people in the 60s, the whole free love movement, the idea was, well, why should we structure any ethics around it? Maybe sex really does just kind of feel good. Hmm. And why treat it any other way? You know, why think about uh, the idea of family, relationships, responsibility? Why not just have fun? And that was the ideals of the free love movement. But still, people couldn't get totally around the idea of ethics for two reasons. Number one was the push of consent, meaning that everyone still understood that rape was one of the most horrible things that can happen to an individual. So you can't just say sex can be utilized in whatever way you want. Consent still had to be a fundamental part of it. And that does kind of fit into the recreational idea of sex. So if the purpose of sex is just for recreation, meaning it's just to have fun, then both parties have to have mutual amounts of fun. So consent kind of filtered in there. But then after that, then you had the move of the gay movement. And this is just my theory. I want to hear what you think about it as well. So the move of uh, when the gay movement really started getting going, then I think a second second type of morality got filtered into there and that second morality was authenticity so being authentic to your true sexual nature was something that was fundamentally important to every individual that if you really wanted to be a fulfilled person you had to figure out what you wanted to do with your genitalia essentially and that would define a huge portion of your personality and your identity this is why so many people in the culture today are driven to identify with LGBTQ. They're really driven to identify with that organization. They want to make that a fundamental part of who they are, their sexual identity. And and and, and, and I just got to be super duper honest because it's running light ministries. And uh, but if I was growing up in today's culture, <clears throat> I'd be part of LGBTQ. I I don't know who wouldn't. You know, like. Because you go, man, am I, am I, yeah, yeah, okay, I've been with someone of the opposite sex, and so, um, quote, straight, but maybe I won't always be that way. Like, you don't know. And so you go, hey, maybe I'm bi, you know? So, yeah, I fit into, you know, maybe the bisexual model there. Or, hey, maybe I find a guy attractive. Hey, maybe I'm gay, you know? So it's, to me, there's like, to me, it's very easy today just to be able to kind of, you know, I could see why the younger generation would would identify in LGBTQ culture um, for one aspect of that. There is a uh, uh, a multiple. There's there's a lot of options today, and who is going to know at the age of fourteen, like what really they are. You know, it's like, who really knows that? I don't even, I wouldn't know that. I would just be like, well, I th- yeah, maybe I am that. Maybe I'm this, maybe I'm that. You know, I don't know. Um, you know, to me, like LGBTQ would just be kind of a cool, like, hey, let's hang out. You know, we're part of LGBTQ. Almost like church has a youth group or church has a college group or church has a, a ministry, you know? 
it, it, L, LGBTQ feels like a ministry, you know, it feels like it just, it's able to engraft people into it, you know, and people that really don't, don't know what they are, or they don't have a clear understanding. And I, I think that's more because there's a lot of options available today, like no other time. No, for sure. And I, I was thinking about the conversation you were having with your friend mm -hmm. that you talked to me about just a couple hours ago, where uh, he was mentioning his philosophy of how people get to know what they know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in, in philosophical thought, we call that epistemology, how we know what we know. Yeah. And he was mentioning that, like, it's based on the culture that you grow up in, things like that. I think a lot of the younger people today, they believe in order to be authentic, in order to have my sexual identity to be more authentically true, it can't be the default setting, mm -hmm. meaning that the default setting, whatever I'm grown up in the the hegemony right the right. The, the way that people move their ruling their ruling class exactly it might not be the ruling class overall but their ruling class that's right <laughs> their if, power their their structure power that's right if you just go into that then maybe you're not really being authentic to your true identity mm. so you need to kind of sort through it a little bit and uh they're they've also taken away what we call the norm so there was a movie that came out just a couple years ago and in the movie it was really pro the gay lifestyle and in the movie a uh, character asks like i don't understand why being straight is the default you know why isn't gay the default and then it has mm -hmm. kind of like it's supposed to be a comedic moment where uh kids come out straight to their parents mm -hmm. they're like oh you know mom i'm into girls and the parents <laughs> are like oh no you know like right. why did we go wrong you know, and they're all freaking <laughs> out but i thought that was a really interesting uh moment because they asked a very what we would consider a very simple question why is being straight the norm? Why is that the default setting? And am I really being genuine or true to my authentic self if I'm just going with the default? Isn't that a little vanilla? You know, maybe I'm something different. And there's that uh, internal feeling within us that doesn't want to conform. We don't want to be a part of everyone else's system. We want to buck against it. We yeah. want to be a rebel. We want to be different. And that's a very teenage thing to do. So uh, again, like you said, it makes a lot of sense that there's a new gender invented every five seconds, that there's a new sexual preference invented every five seconds because no one wants to filter themselves into the generic, the default. They wanna go against it. And so these numbers are rising and it's all down to this idea of you need to be authentic. You need to be, you need to figure out who you are. You need to find your identity. Mm. So let's talk more about this. Uh, you're, you're talking about in the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth. Right. And that's how it starts. So it starts with uh, a creator. <coughs> and so if you don't have a creator, then you, you, you know, people are trying to figure out the meaning of sex. Um, so in everybody's worldview, there has to be some kind of sexual immorality, um, some kind of uh, distortion. Um, if you will, to what they're holding to be true. Um, I would imagine everybody's got some form of truth to what sex should look like, what sexual relationships, intimate relationships should look like. And most people don't want to define that um, in a Judeo-Christian way for the reasons that you just mentioned about hierarchy structures and all of our struggles with that kind of hierarchy structure. And so, you know, we, we rebel, we say, forget it. We put on our suicidal tendency records and we, we say, forget you, man. But, but the culture does uh, spew out this thing called consent. 
And I, I wrote down measuring consent. Like, wh- how do you measure consent? Mm-hmm. Like, how does that work? Like, I guess my point is, is like, if someone says, hey, well, I think it just as long as it's consensual. Well, okay. But, you know, there are situations, I imagine, where someone on their side goes, hey, it's consensual. And in their mind, the idea of consensual is is they have a definition of that but in the other person's mind it they they might say well no my version of consensual is something different so um you know do you think that is really going to work too yeah so basically if i if i understand you correctly what you're saying is like what if i what if i think that you're consenting to something or you're you're giving off a particular vibe or an intention that I'm reading and I'm saying, okay, I, I, I believe you're consenting, but you're really not. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like if, if everybody, if their sexual, if the sexual immorality of today is like, Hey, as long as we just consent, right? Well, what, what exactly, what is that? Like, what does that look like? Like on a college campus, like you kind of go, you kind of get the vibe that the, 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 it's like, oh, you're, you want to uh, be intimate. I want to be intimate. That's consent. And we think of that. But there's instances where people are what we think consensual or we think there is a, that the language we're using is, 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 is the type that it is, that both parties understand it as being now we're consensual, but still someone will come back at the other one and be like, I'm suing you. Right. You know? And that's that's the problem with consent. So I was watching this video, I think it was like a month ago, a woman came out and she was just like, you know, 80% of men are rapists. Like she just said that. And she starts- <laughs> I've heard that before. Yeah, she starts listing off all the things that a guy can do that's that she considers rape. She's like, you're with a girl at a bar and she's getting a little tipsy. You're a rapist. You know, right. you ask a girl like if she wants to have sex, she says, ah, you know, I kind of want to wait a little bit. But then you like, you know, you do more foreplay. You kind of massage her into it. You're a rapist. You know, you you uh, essentially are dating a girl and, you know, she hasn't explicitly told you that you can go all the way, but you do it anyway. You're a rapist. You know, you talk a girl into sex. You're a rapist. You know, and she goes down this list. And when you're going through the list with her, you're like, well, a lot of these aren't rape. They're indecent. You know, and again, as a Christian, I have an ethical structure to be able to say why these particular incidences are wrong, why they're bad, why they're not considerate of the other, why they're not, con- that why they're not loving, why they're not patient, why they're not kind or merciful or understanding, right? So I have a moral framework to be able to denounce those things but the only moral framework she has is consent that's it so because she internally knows that these behaviors are wrong and they make her feel bad but she doesn't have any type of complex moral structure to be able to call them out beyond consent she has to filter them all into violations of consent and a violation of consent is called rape so there's a big danger into moving everything into this consent category because again, if you see something that's wrong and you know it's wrong, you feel it's wrong, but you don't know why, you don't have a moral structure that will allow you to say why it's wrong, then you have to call it rape. So you, you do have a lot of girls 
uh, the Me Too movement is a good example of this, where there's been accusations of rape, but was it really rape? You know, they sit down and they talk with these girls, and there was a an example of this where a girl was kind of she didn't use the word rape, but the way that they wrote the article, it definitely seemed like there was a claim towards rape. I, I remember there was uh, this one where a guy basically just hooked up with a girl and they had consented to have sex. But then while they were having sex, he did something that she didn't feel comfortable with. So she felt like that violated consent and she felt really uh, used and mm. misunderstood. That's a, that's a good point that, and this is, that's what I'm getting at is like, if consent is the, the main thing, then how do we, you know, you're talking about like physically people, uh, do something they they their bodies are consenting let me say it that way their bodies are consenting right so in in the sense that they they verbally have said like oh sure you know and g green light you know green light means go and their bodies are consenting but mentally you're saying it doesn't mean that necessarily they are because they have someone might have a um uh, a remorse you know, and regret. that a regret yeah. that's coming from some kind of um, some <laughs> kind of issue that's rooted in an, an ethic, right? And but and they can't verbalize it. They, they can't, can't articulate it, right? Because they don't have maybe God in their life. They don't have that idea that hey, God created this for a certain purpose. Then they can't go there, right? Yeah, and it gets into this also the, the second morality, which is authenticity. So it, if a woman or a man feels like, well, no, I'm taking ownership of my sexuality and I'm being authentic, I'm living into my true self, and I want to have sex with this person, but yet I have sex with them and then I feel regret. Well, what happened? I can't claim I was being inauthentic because I was. That's what I wanted to do. But I also can't claim that there was anything morally wrong with just hooking up with this random stranger or, or feeling like I was using them and they were using me, right? I can't call that out. So I have to say they violated some sort of consent because I have no other moral structure to be able to, to condemn them, hmm. right? So what, what Bo's saying and what I'm trying to articulate as well is that I might in the moment feel like, yes, I want to do this. But then after I have sex with someone, I might regret it. I might say like, ah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe we rushed into things. Maybe we should have waited. We were just kind of letting our hormones talk and not our intellect, you know? And how do I express that regret in a culture that says there's nothing wrong with hooking up without any consequences? There's nothing, there's no purpose to it. There's nothing wrong with it, right? How do I articulate that? Well, I can't. So I have to say, hmm, maybe I didn't fully consent. Maybe they pressured me into it. Maybe they talked me into it. Maybe there isn't genuine consent happening within my life. Mm. Yeah. You, do you see other problems with the issue or with that idea of kind of today's culture of just using consent as uh, kind of their, their go-to? Because most people, it seems like, don't want to get in too much into the what is right or what is wrong they try to move away from those languages so right. consent is used quite a bit that's right so in our culture we don't really use words like evil or immoral or something like that so we we only have a couple words that we can kind of brand people with that everyone genuinely understands oh we're talking about evil here uh, in my opinion, it's only racism and racism, sexism, 
uh, some sort of a phobia or like I said, violation of consent. Those are really the only ones we have. So if I feel like someone is doing something wrong, I have to filter them into one of those categories. I have to say you're racist, you're a misogynist, you're a homophobe, you're this, you're that. Or I say like you're a rapist, you don't care about people. And you see these kinds of insults slung at people very haphazardly without any genuine proof. Because again, we've lost moral language within our culture. The idea of evil, right, wrong, good, bad. You know, those things have just kind of been, they've gone out the ether. And so we can only cling to these words that we feel explain it. And, and again, it makes sense because the main kind of worldviews that are being promoted right now by our culture would be critical race theory, which filters all evil into racism. And then you also have gender theory, which filters all evil into gender ideology and sexism and phobias of that sort. Mm, man. Wow, where do we go from here, bro? No, yeah. I, I love I love the idea. Uh, I love that that word. I think sexual immorality is a cool word in that the word immorality is in it. And mm -hmm. I and I know people don't like that word, and I certainly didn't either at one point in life. But I do like it and when I just look at it and I go immorality. Well, it's it's obviously talking about morality. Mm -hmm. You know, are there morals? You know, and I guess if you were to get rid of morals then you would get rid of the idea of immorality right right so if we threw out morals then what do we have left you know what do we what are we doing hmm. you know what do we do if there's if we just said hey there is no morals then what how would we define what people do like what are we defining that by you know what is it hmm. So even if you didn't believe in God, right? You have no belief in God, like I certainly didn't at one point in life. You know, what do you what do you define what I'm doing? Right. Um, you know, and that's a good point, and it's one of the reasons why uh, it's one of the reasons <laughs> why I think our country is going in the direction that it is. So if you lose morality, then what has to take its place? The law, legality. Yeah, that, and this is this is good. That's right. So in other words, if if the, the way that we're supposed to govern ourselves, and you read the Bible in the Old Testament, for instance, is you see this idea of ethical morality being conducted by people at the local level, right? So there's morality and ethics regarding how I'm supposed to treat my neighbor. There's morality and ethics of how I'm supposed to treat my parents, how I'm supposed to treat my brother, how I'm supposed to treat my sister, how I'm supposed to treat my wife, how I'm supposed to treat my kids, right? There's all these ethics and morality that are moving me to treat people in my local community in particular ways, right? And all of these things have accountability to God, right? I'm doing these things in order to honor God. That kind of moral structure is what's keeping everyone in line, and therefore, the government, right, all the government is designed to do is to punish or judge strong violations of the law. That's why in the Bible, you don't see the government penalizing small things. What you see them stepping in to arbitrate over are major violations of the law, things where you'd have to either you've stolen, you have to give large sums of money back to the person you stole from, or you're executed, or you're excommunicated, you're thrown out of the community. That's where the government steps in. But just because something's not illegal, meaning just because something wouldn't get me thrown out of the community or cause me to have to give back a large sum of money, it doesn't mean those things are necessarily ethical. It's the ethics 
that actually govern the society and make the society good, the law steps in to punish or penalize those who step outside the law. That's all it's designed to do. Mm. But when we throw out le uh, morality, then the only thing we have left is legality. And that's why tensions between the political parties have become so fiery lately. Because what you're having is you're having whatever party is in power trying to uh, strong arm the other side into their way of moral thinking. Right. And they do that through law. And uh, I was listening to a really good podcast yesterday where someone was talking about that. And they say, you know, like if we if we care about the morality or the ethic of freedom or liberality, then we have to start not top down, right. not government instituting all the morality that I like, but bottom up. How do I get my local community, the people that I'm closest to, to think the way that I do? Right. And what institutions like the institution of family, the institution of church, the institution of education, how do I get those institutions to reflect more and more of what I believe is right? So I'm living in a community where the people around me are behaving in a way that I approve of. Doesn't mean I'm approving of everything, but it means that I genuinely, I generally agree with the ethics that are surrounding me. And I don't need the government to legalize these smaller things, right? Yeah. Beyond that, and this is also very important, the government, the law is completely inept in legalizing what we would call virtue. So the law can penalize you when you break the law, but the law cannot honor you or reward you for doing something good. In other words, I'm not going to get a check in the mail if I tell the truth today. Yeah. I'm not going to get some sort of a boost in my you know, 401k if I treat my wife well. You know, those are very virtuous and good things to do, but I'm never going to get rewarded by the state for doing those things. And what's more important, people who simply don't violate the law or people who are actively virtuous in their character, right? And obviously the answer is very clear. This is why in the Bible, in the Old and the New Testament, there's a, a much heavier emphasis on what we're electing to do than what we're resisting to do, right? So the Christian is mainly about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to be the right kind of person, but the negative things in my life, I should be avoiding them, but that's not the prime focus. The prime focus is what I'm moving towards, not what I'm moving away from. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's a danger. Um, there's a danger that that we have as human beings when we go in a direction without knowing something else. Mm. Um, you know, that's that's what Blaise Pascal wrote about so much is that there's a, a, an equal danger, you know, to knowing God and not knowing your depravity or and there's another danger of knowing your depravity and not knowing God. Right. And and knowing, you know, not knowing God and wanting the the legal system to get involved in sex matters in in the sexual ethics. Whoa. Emergency alert. Emergency al alert. What's going on? What's going on? Someone kidnapped someone. Someone kidnapped someone. Is that wrong? Uh, that's what it says. 
Yeah, I don't think that was consent. That's for sure. <laughs> Nicholas Cowan. Yeah, totally. Online, live, all over the world now. The name. <laughs> but uh, but you get I I my you know the 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 point that I'm making is that. You know, if you throw out morality and you're just using the legality section, um, then it seems like there's a real a, a balance thing that's going wrong. Um, and this is why it's because, OK, if I'm not having a source outside of me that is benevolent, uh, OK, God, who's benevolent and there's all these things that I'm striving for, you know, a loving God, he's striving me to be like him this kind of idea then then and i'm wanting human beings who are not 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 going to the benevolent god but they're going to their own resources their own intellect to legislate sexual morality even though they're not calling it that but sexuality um then it seems like you're running into another you're, instead of instead, it's you're still doing the same thing. You're still trying to uh, find a morality, but the source that you're going to is now just like you. And I can't imagine that the results are going to be good or positive, or you know, um, because you yourself um, aren't so much good and positive. You need the outside source as well. You need the benevolence. You need you need the help as well, um, you know. It, it just to me it seems almost circular. It's like the way you're trying to fix a problem is by once again the looking towards other humans that are just as selfish and just as greedy and just as compromised and just as um, oblivious and just as blind as you are. And it, it seems like that if you if we're putting sexual morality into the hands of the government because there's not a moral code that we're all running on um, in our heart. And it's interesting. The Bible says that we do have a sense of right and wrong in us. It's within us, but we're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. So if I'm suppressing that truth, then, and I'm just, I'm looking for uh you know, big brother to say, oh, yeah, you're doing the right thing. You know, keep doing what you're doing. And I go, oh, great. OK, I'm doing great. It's not like I've really gotten away from the deity. I've just kind of switched deities. I've looked to humans and I've propped them up and uh, to try to get them on my page, so to speak, and feeling OK. Like Christianity in, in monogamy can't be right just because a government says that one man and one woman is right. That can't be the reason why we go, oh, it's right. Why? Because it's legal. You know? No, the reason why it's right is because there's a, a source outside of us that has told us what the intent of our sexuality is. That's why. Right. And this is, this is what, you know, some theologians have called natural law. You know, the idea of what is the role of government? The role of government is not to create law. The role of government is to enforce natural law. In other words, what's naturally already inherently true, the government then enforces the practice of that. The government is not there to just say like, hey, you know what? 
we've decided that this is right now, you know? And, and so uh, that's why you have a perspective from our founders that they believe that the government inherited their power from God and that they were just trying to help people live within that. So in other words, they were just trying to create a structure that would best help people live into morality. They weren't trying to create a structure where they're like, we're going to force everybody to live the way that we want. Um, it was this idea of there's an ideal. We want to point people to the ideal and we want to remove all obstacles and benefit people who pursue the ideal, but we're not going to enforce it in any particular way. That was the that was how they saw things. And that's very important because when it comes to authenticity, one of the things that people complain about is when you set up a standard, when you set up an ideal, mm-hmm. doesn't that disenfranchise and doesn't that hurt the people that can't live within the ideal? So if I say something like, well, one of the benefits of, of being married is that you can start a family, right? Uh, why does God make the two one? Because he desires godly offspring. That's in Malachi chapter two. Mm. Now, someone would come to me and say, well, okay, well, what about all the people that can't have kids? You know, what about the women who are barren? Uh, what about the person who's married to uh, the love of their life and tragically they get taken away from them and they just never want to marry again. They stay single for the rest of their life. Like, are those relationships somehow invalid? Are you trying to make them feel bad about themselves? Like what's going on? The point of setting up an ideal is to set up something for people to shoot for. And yes, the concept is that a lot of us will fall short. We're not going to make it and that's okay. Right. I would rather feel bad about not living up to the ideal than removing the ideal altogether. Mm. So let me let me uh, put it this way. Uh, So my dad. He didn't have a dad. Right. His dad walked out on him. He didn't have a dad. He didn't grow up with a dad. And in his culture, he was shamed for that. People were like, you know, you're you're a bastard. They used to call him that. They used to insult him for not having a father in the household. Now. That was bad, and obviously actively shaming people for something like that that they have no control over, that's immoral, right? We as Christians say that's immoral. We're not supposed to do that. However, it is better for my dad to know, like, oh, the reason why I have a longing in my heart to have a male figure in my life that would be able to mentor me and to guide me through life is because that is the ideal, and I was that I didn't have that. And I need to grieve over that. I need to feel bad about that. I shouldn't feel good about it. I should feel bad about that because that was something that I should have had and I didn't have it. That's way better for him than for a culture to say, you know what? Let's continue to make movies and TV shows of single parent households so that the people who are living in a single parent household feel more at home. They feel represented, right? So the removal of the ideal makes the people who don't have a dad and the people who do have a dad in the house feel the same. However, there is a true and genuine, there is a net, this is what natural law means. It is better for you to have a father in the home, whether you recognize it or not, whether the society recognizes that that's ideal or not, that is better. It remains true. It's a blunt fact and it's better for the person to realize there's an ideal and I'm not living in it. And I, I grieve over that than to remove the ideal altogether and therefore to say it's equally valid to have one parent in the house or two parents of the same gender 
It's equally valid. It's, there's no differences. Everyone should and, feel the same. And there's a way to get a, a, to tear this down so that you can say, oh, well, that argument doesn't work. Mm. Like you're, you, there's a way to say this. Like this is what I'm thinking. You could say, okay, like your argument is saying that, hey, it's it's better. We know just factually, it's better to have a male in the animal kingdom and like warm-blooded animals. It's good to have a dad and a mom. In our kingdom, it's good to have a dad and a mom. That's just natural law. That's just known. But if you if you say, I guess you could tear down the idea of dad. You could tear down the idea of male, and you know, through different things, through different you know verbiage, so to speak, you can tear down like, oh well, what is men or what have men contributed to society? Um, you know, look at the history of, of patriarchy, mm-hmm. you know, in the, and you can tear it down, you know, to where you you sit in a classroom, you know, in college and you go, oh, yeah, you know what? Is it really good to. Right. And to, that that is an argument that people are using to go against what I'm saying. So, in other words, when I say that there's an ideal. Yeah. Um, someone will say, well, what about this exception where the, the ideal, quote unquote, that you're talking about is abused? Right. Is it better for a kid to have an abusive father? Well, obviously, that's not the ideal either. Right? I'm talking right. about the ideal is having a loving father within the house. So, yeah, it's better to have no father as opposed to an abusive father. But, you know, what's even better than that to have a loving father. Yeah. So, so just by saying like, well, it can be worse in some instances. Yeah. But you're still not addressing the main point. The main point is that there is an ideal of a father and how a father should behave towards his children. And you're not attacking that. You're just saying, well, I'm just going to pick out one thing that you said, which is male in the household. And I'm going to talk, uh, give you the horror stories of my dad being a jerk. It's like, yeah. okay, well, I'm sorry you had a dad that was a jerk, but that yeah. doesn't, that doesn't make fatherhood bad. So, so basically we are, our culture right now has a morality or there is a morality or, or, let me say it this way. Maybe, trying to construct Maybe one. trying to construct one. Right. But they don't know what how to do that. There's right. there's an elusiveness to that. We got to go because I know you got some stuff you got to do. Um, so we're going to have to end the podcast. But but there is a sexual, sexual morality that's trying to be formed. But, of course, there is no objective truth that's uh, being... Um, 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 reached for or looked at um or even believed in well there is one and we can talk about it next time <laughs> yeah because i know you'll want to talk about this right and that would be the experts right the so, experts the state the that's the, right that that kind of thing the it's experts science, and the, the science Mustafa Mon folks. That's right. <laughs> right but you know you know so so sexual immorality today is certainly different and what you're saying too which is uh, so cool is like what we're doing is we're trying to tear down um, a a um, a uh, kind of get a, what ideal a get away yeah getting away from the ideal um, without really understanding the ramifications of tearing down that ideal right right and not understanding that when you tear down that ideal then what do you have and I always equate it to baseball it's like what if what if you don't have an ideal in pitching? What if you don't right. have an ideal in catching? What if you don't have an idea as a first baseman of how to how to play that position? Baseball has so many unique positions to it, and everyone uh, is just that. It's unique. 
and but it's all within the framework of the game right and um and you can't just kind of play catcher the way you want to play catcher. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you can't just be a pitcher and pitch the way you want to pitch or play right. any of the positions that way. That's right. There's an ideal to it. That's right. And that's why, you know, uh, one of the first moves, I believe, from what we call the ideal would be the participation awards. Yeah. Right. Is that we're going to reward you whether or not you live up to the ideal. And it's better, you know, and again, if you want to quote studies, it's we found out that it's psychologically better for a child to feel like they lost in a fair and square game than to reward them for being lesser than. Because mm -hmm. when you reward people for not living up to the ideal, what you're communicating is there is no ideal. Winners, losers, it doesn't matter, right? Kids who have dads, kids who don't have dads, it doesn't matter. We're going to reward everybody equally, right? When you do that, you take away something for people to strive for. And again, is the thing that we're striving for inherently good? Whether you reward it or not, is it inherently good? Is it inherently better for someone? Because if it is, and you're not pointing people to it, you're doing them a grave disservice. Mm, good point. So, hey, thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Better Pleasure Podcast. Take care and have a great day. You can always check us out at runninglight.org. You can always email us at the top right there. Bo at Running Light, Peter at Running Light. So have a good one. Bye-bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.